in front of you. We've done we've done two weeks so far, um, and we're doing three truths that Christians must accept. Um, and so we're here to explore Jesus. Um, it's been really encouraging to see the engagement with some people in these in this series outside of Sunday, just on YouTube as well. Um, so we're just going to. We've, in the first week, we looked at the our purpose. In the second week, we looked at our need of Jesus, and in the third week, we're going to look like at what it is to follow Jesus. Um, so we're just going to start by reviewing, um, and basically, um, we'll start on the left there. So if you go up, the first page is it says review our need of Jesus, and we're just going to go over last week. Um, don't worry about reading the notes. They're just there for you to go over afterwards. Just have a look at the pictures and we'll talk through them. So our starting point was to talk about our purpose. And the two concepts we wanted to bring up was the idea that we are made to rule with God and we are made in the image of God. So the Genesis says that humans actually, even though we are under God, God made us to rule his earth to, and to exercise authority over the land and the animals in it. Um, and so, but we weren't just meant to rule however we wanted. We were meant to rule in the image of God. In other words, we rule it in a way that images his character into the world. So we rule it in a way that images his justice into the world, his goodness into the world, his love of nature, his love of people into the world. Um, and so that if you look at that first diagram, that's what that represents. So God is above us, but he gives us a crown because we rule with him. And, the, and his ways go through us into the world. And because, if I can just draw your attention to Exodus 34, 6 there, just in the notes. Um, this is the first time in the Bible God describes himself. Um, so God, God is mentioned in the Bible up until this point. But this is the first time the voice of God tells us who God is. Um, which is so significant. And the Exodus 34, 6 says this. He says it to Moses. He says, And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And the reason we, we focus on that, because this God, that's the core of his character. That's how God I, that's how God summarizes who he is. I am, I am, I'm compassionate, I'm gracious, I'm slow to anger, and I'm abounding in love and faithfulness. So if the first diagram is correct, if we're ruling God's world in God's image, it should be all about love. That this world should be a place where we love each other perfectly and love God and he loves us. But is that the way it is? Well, it, Todd's like, yes, sometimes it should be like that. But it's not like that all the time, is it, in this world? It's a broken world. And, um, and we, we know the Adam and Eve narrative, and we know that they shouldn't have eaten the fruit in that, in, that, in that. But the symbolism of that narrative is, tell me what the tree was called. The tree of? The knowledge of? Good and evil. And so the title tells us what the whole story is about. Adam and Eve are challenged with letting God decide what is good and evil. In other words, you can rule this world under me, but I decide the boundaries. I decide what is straight. I decide what is good and evil. And when Adam and Eve took of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it was a symbolic, it was a symbolic decision of all humanity saying, we decide good and evil for ourselves. We decide. We lay the markers down. God doesn't let, and, because, and when Satan tempts Eve, it's on the basis of God cannot be trusted. 
And so Adam and Eve chose to mistrust God. So humanity chose to mistrust God. And if you know the story, we read it in the first week. As soon as humans try to be their own God, all of a sudden there's shame. They realize each other are naked, so they judge each other. There's mistrust. They blame each other. And they turn on each other. And so the whole image that you have in the first diagram is completely destroyed. And that, that attitude where we turn ourselves against God separates us from God. So the second diagram is the problem. Is that we that like that relationship we're meant to have with God on top of the mountain, that's gone. And we're at the bottom of a mountain. And we can't ever overcome this. We can't ever overcome this part of us that wants to define right and wrong for ourselves, wants to lay the markers down for ourselves. And we call that sin. And Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is? Death. Death, absolutely. And so we have a problem. We're at the bottom of a mountain. God's at the top of the mountain. We don't know how to scale up the mountain. And we know, though, that the beautiful story of Christianity, and if you ever get a chat with other religions about what makes Christianity unique, this image, I believe, defines it better than any other image. Because in Christianity, there is a gap. God is on top of the mountain, we're at the bottom. But in Christianity, God comes down the mountain to us. That is our core difference. God comes to us. And that's when we start talking about Jesus. And... Um, and so Jesus came down to us and we've got like that acronym there where it says presence, authority, submission, service, empathy, death and resurrection. Um, and we and we summarized those last week. And if you want that sheet, if you missed it, you can get that sheet. Um, but Jesus was here amongst us. He showed authority. He served us. He was he empathized with us. But I want to focus on two of them specifically for us. The first one is submission. The first one is submission because it's absolutely key in how we understand things moving forward because Jesus, when he submitted to the Father, did what we could not do because when Jesus was on the way to cross, on the way to the cross, what did he say? Lord, not my will, but yours be done. When Jesus did that, he overcame what we could not overcome. We could not overcome our inability to mistrust God and define right and wrong for ourselves even when Jesus is about to go on a cross, he refuses to mistrust his father. I will do the will of the father even at this point. And, and I don't know if you've ever picked up how profound it is, but the son of God said, I don't want to do this. And yet he trusted his father. That's amazing, isn't it? That the son of God in his humanity said, I don't want to do it. But he did it. So he overcame what we couldn't overcome and so he is not like us. And then it's on that basis he died for us. And we know the analogy that I love that I keep returning to, but it's just so good, is that, you know, this represents all that sin. And because we have given up on that submission, we have chosen to define good and evil for ourselves. And this is Jesus who's always submitted to the Father. When he dies for us, all of that gets dumped on him and we can have a relationship with Jesus. And so the second truth that absolutely all Christians must accept is that Jesus died and rose again for me. You have to accept it. It's, it's our whole, our whole, you know, our whole thing is built on this. This whole idea that God pursued you, God came after you and paid the price for you. So you must receive that forgiveness that he has paid for you. And so if we, if we go to the, this week following Jesus, 
Um, like I said, the sheet, you don't need to read along too much because the sheet's more there for a summary for you afterwards. I'll just call your attention at different points. But I got Kyle up here last week, and, and, and we want to start with that analogy again, is that Kyle doesn't need to come up again. We'll just explain what he did, but he did really well last week. Um, so, you know, Kyle represented God, fitting. He's a wonderful man. Um, but he, he came down the mountain. Um, and I was faced this way, so he chased after me. This is us. So God, Kyle, God, God came down the mountain, and I was facing this way. And so he's done all the pursuing. He's done all the pursuing. But we still need to turn and receive the forgiveness. It's not about works. It's not about us working our way back to God. But we need to acknowledge that he's done all the pursuing. He's one step behind. But we need to turn and receive the love on offer, the forgiveness on offer. And while that seems easy, it's so difficult, isn't it, Adam? Because that turn represents something. Because while I'm facing this way, my life is... My life is mine. I define right and wrong for myself while I'm facing this way. I define straight and narrow for myself while I'm facing this way. But if I turn and receive God's forgiveness, I acknowledge that I do not define good and evil. God does. That's where it all starts. And so that's what we're talking about. If you want to read, the first thing we'll read together is Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. And what it goes on to explain, which we don't need to read, but is that, um, and Christianity explained as a good point of pointing this out, is that the whole point of we have to take up our cross, cross was an instrument of what? What did they do on crosses? They, they kill people. Now, Jesus doesn't actually call us to literally die at that moment, but he's making the serious point that if you turn from this way to this way, you are dying to something. You are dying to an idea that is at the heart of who you are. You are dying to the idea that your life is yours. It is God's, and he has bought it at a price. And so whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross. And we're going to look at two images this morning that just help us grasp what it means to follow Jesus. And the first one is Jesus as a teacher, and the second is Jesus as a shepherd. So you are called, if you want to follow Jesus, he is your teacher and he is your shepherd. Um, Jesus, you know, his longest block of teaching is the Sermon on the... Oh, mate, we're all we're top of the class today. Longest block of teaching in the Bible. And um, he finishes that teaching with these words. And this is why these words alone, if anyone says, oh, Jesus was just a good moral teacher, actually, good moral teachers don't say this. This, this just raises the stakes of his words so much. This is what Jesus says about his own teaching near the end of it. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27, it's there in front of you. It says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Don't worry about the words next. Just look at the illustration. And 
just just get a grip of what Jesus is saying here. He has basically said, if you put into practice what I'm telling you right now, your life will be strong and resilient. And nothing will bring it down. It's a, it's a, what teacher says that? I mean, Meg's a good teacher. She's taught some good classes in her time. I'm sure at the end of her lesson, she never said to the students, if you put my words into practice, the words of Meg Faith into practice, your life will be forever strong. But if you ignore them, your life will fall apart. You know, like, no, so no one says it, but Jesus says, if you build my life on your, my words, your life will be strong. It'll be like a house that storms can beat against. Um, and then he says the adverse is true. Ignore me. Ignore my words. Don't put them into practice and you'll fall. That's an incredible statement. It's huge. And, and if you are someone who, who is already a Christian, can I just say, that is why it is perilous if Sunday morning is the only time you engage with God's word. Jesus has told you that if you ignore my words, your life falls down. Would we dare ignore his words throughout the week? Absolutely not. And, and, but the reason it's so precious, because Jesus is God himself, and the teachings of Jesus are the teachings of God himself. As you step back into following the words of Jesus, you're stepping back into your purpose. Because as you follow Jesus, you are imaging God's character into the world. Does that make sense? So as you follow Jesus, you are stepping back into what you were created for. Because the more you are like Jesus, the more you are like God, and your purpose was to image God into the world. That was the why God created you in the first place. So we are invited as we follow Jesus as our teacher to step back into our image of God, to reflect his God's character and ways into the earth as we have always said. And if you turn the page over, and we can read this key point together. If you are a Christian, this just has to be true for you. Jesus is the ultimate teacher. A Christian believes that they simply cannot build the life God wants them to have without heeding the words of Jesus in their everyday life. We simply cannot. It's not a case of option. You simply cannot. You simply do not believe you can build the life that God has for you without putting into practice the words of our ultimate teacher. And the, second, and the second image I want to give you is Jesus as shepherd. Another image that helps us understand following Jesus is thinking of him as a shepherd. So can we read um, John chapter 10 there? In a, just a couple of sections of it. Um, so it's right there in front of you. So he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. And jumping ahead to verse 10 and 11, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. And so it's right there. We see that Jesus describes us as if we're his followers, then we're sheep who completely trust him. There's no such thing as a sheep who kind of, you know, decides, oh, maybe the shepherd knows best today, maybe he doesn't like... If, if a, shepherd know, a sheep knows their shepherd, they trust him. And wherever the shepherd says they go, they go. Um, but 
what's even, but it's not just any shepherd, because the reason this passage is so powerful, it's not just Jesus saying, I'm the good shepherd, I'm the good shepherd. He says, I'm the good shepherd who lays his life down. In other words, I'm not just anyone asking you to trust me. And that's why that image of, of, of God running after us down the mountain is so important. I'm not just any God asking you to trust me. I am the God who pursued you and laid my life down for you. That is the God who is asking you to trust me. I am the good shepherd. No other shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. I am the good shepherd. And so when it comes to Christians, of course we give our full trust to the shepherd who died for us. Wherever he goes, we follow. And to help us kind of to lean into that image a bit more, even though it's not strictly a shepherd metaphor, um, we'll just read Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30. It says, you know, a lot of you know this verse. It's so beautiful. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Don't worry about those key points. You can read them again in your own time. But Jesus basically says, you know, you guys know cattle. I don't really. Of course, I have to look all this stuff up. I haven't done much ploughing in my time. But I know that a yoke, I know that a yoke puts two oxen together so that they pull in the same direction. All right. And so that Jesus is a wonderful image. Jesus is like, yoke yourself to me. Connect yourself to me and go where I go and let me teach you and let me show you the way. And, you know, this is such a fascinating verse. because I, And I don't know if we believe this all the time because of the way we frame the Christian life. But Jesus says, this is the easy and light way. If you yoke yourself to me, this is the way that is restful. Ultimately restful, ultimately light, ultimately easier. I mean, it's so, that's, so, that's such a strong claim. And while this passage isn't just about representing Jesus as a shepherd, it's still about trusting him to lead us. So if you are a Christian, Jesus is your teacher, but he's your shepherd. If he says something is the right thing to do or the right way to go, or you feel that he's leading into you, you into something that you're uncomfortable with in your life or to change something about your character... Jeff, he's been your shepherd in this time, hasn't he? He's, and, he and he's led you into things that have caused a lot of pain. Um, but has, he's still your shepherd. And you would be perilously dumb to leave your shepherd. Because he knows the way. He knows the way. Jesus is your shepherd. And so what I would love to, and I'd love to spend a couple of minutes here. I, I present this image up here on the top right to high school students, and they really get it. So I want to present to you two ideas, two ideas about your life. Now, especially for young people today, they watch shows and go to school, especially the public schools, and their whole message is, you know, really don't really trust anyone. Just kind of follow that inner voice. Follow, follow that inner inner compass, whatever that is, I don't know what it is, but follow the inner compass and, and you know, even though they're in, they get no guidance around relationships, dreams, experiences, fears, sexuality, desires, leisure, we pretty much, they just get told, go find your way, just find your way and they get stressed and they get anxious and, 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 and it just doesn't really work because we were designed to have a shepherd. So that's one way to live. 
Just, just work it out. Here, drop you in the middle of this complex human life with death and suffering and pain and confusion and just work it out. Now, you can live that way if you want. Or you can just listen to the king who died for you who says, follow me. And you know, when I present that to teenagers, even in the public schools, they get it. Because they, they, they actually have this tiredness of being told, you know, are you fulfilling that inner voice enough? Are you, are you being yourself enough? Are you being yourself enough? No, no, don't trust your parents too much. Don't trust your church too much. Don't trust the society. You know, like it's this exhausting sort of narrative of find your way, find your way, work it out, work it out. Are you happy? Are you sure you're happy? If you're not happy, something's wrong. Like it's, it's crazy and it's stress inducing. And there's just another way to live, guys. There's another way to live because there's the good shepherd who lays his life down for his sheep. There's the one who said, come to me if you're weary and burdened. And he says, you can follow me. You can follow me instead. It's much better. It's much simpler. It's easy. You can follow me. So we can choose to reject Jesus as our teacher and shepherd and king. And we can choose to stay separated from God. And we can choose to navigate this world and the, and the life after this world without him. We can choose that. It's called freedom. Freedom is given to things that you love. God loves us. Or we can choose to acknowledge that God is king, embrace his forgiveness and follow him as our shepherd, teacher and king. And so that last point in the explanation, it says, in Jesus Christ, we can choose to permanently return to the relationship with God we were designed for in this life and the next. Because Jesus has died for you, you can permanently return to your purpose. As you follow the words and the ways of Jesus, you're returning to the image of God and that goes on forever. That goes on forever. You're no longer separated from God. Death is just the next step into a life where you continue to follow God and continue to image Him for eternity. And so the number three truth that all Christians must accept is my life belongs to Jesus. And, you know, whether you're in the reject zone, you're not ready to say that or you're resisting it, or maybe you're ready to receive it or you have received it, um, that there is no getting around that. That if you, to work to Christian is to define yourself by the name of Christ. To be Christian is to accept that your life belongs to Him. Not because of something you have done, but because of a God who has pursued you and died for you and offered, um, offered a lifetime of following Him to you. And so what we're going to do, and I know, and I know many people, maybe all people, but I know many people here can pray this prayer and it resonates with their heart, but we're going to all pray it together. Um, and then what I'd like is as many people as possible, there's, um, there's a survey monkey link. By now it's posted on Facebook and in your email as well. There's a, there are physical copies for those who absolutely must use them. Um, but I'd like everyone actually to just do a little response thing. Um, and the reason I'm doing that is this. Okay, so one, we have new people in our mix every year they're around and, and we do this um, on a yearly basis, something like this, so that they have an opportunity uh, to make a clear response to what they do. But the other thing, reason we do this is we are Baptists and there are people here who are not baptised. And we would love to baptise you if you resonate with these truths. If you believe Jesus is your King, 
And you believe that he died for you, and you have not yet declared that in baptism. Man, we want to baptize you. So in that in that questionnaire, there's an opportunity for you to also tick that you're happy to be baptized as well. So we want to every I want to give an opportunity for people to just put their hand up to say they want to be baptized as well. So just that's in the response form as well. But why don't we all stand? And I'm just going to pray this prayer. I'd like you to read along with me if you want, um, uh, or you can, or you can close your eyes. But you can read it as I pray it if you like as well. It's really simple. It, it, it addresses the three truths that we've talked about, um, and so I'm just going to pray to Jesus now and invite you to pray along with me. I no longer want to rebel from God. I know Jesus died for me, and I embrace His offer of forgiveness for my sin. I honour Jesus as my King, and I choose to follow Him. Amen. Amen.